love grilling. Uh, any other grill, like you just want to sit behind the grill? Oh, a couple of you, excellent. Some of you, like this is it. I love grilling. I found myself doing it yesterday. Uh, just some chicken wings on there, low heat. There's something about the smells, you know, the, the sounds of things crackling a little bit if you do it right. Um, you know that, that, that grease that kind of sits on there? There's something that I just want to be like, you know, meat and man and I don't know. Um, the, but there's something about grilling that people come together over this. Right? Whether it's two people, 20 people, it doesn't matter. When people come together over grilling, something happens when we begin to connect. But have you ever been to one of those barbecues where there's a person there and you're trying to avoid them? You go and you're wondering if they're going to be there and you're like, I just don't want to be with them. They're either going to try to sell me something, get me to join their team. They're going to unload on me. They're going to do, they've got some sort of agenda for me. And I really just want to hang out with people, not be an agenda. Anybody else do this besides me? Okay, good. And if you're like, no, no, liar. Um, right? We all have these people in our lives. But if I'm being honest, sometimes, sometimes I think this is the way that followers of Jesus come across when we show up and begin to talk about Jesus, that we lose the humanity of another person and they become an agenda to be won, an argument to be won over, and simply just like I don't want to be roped into some other business, I want to be treated like a human. And I believe that as followers of Jesus, we need to be loving and sharing our faith with other people simply because Jesus tells us that we, we should do this. This is actually one of the last things that he tells his disciples. If you look at uh, his biography written by Matthew, one of his disciples, in the end of this great biography, in chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus says to his disciples, therefore, go and make, oh, go and make burgers, like, you know, at the grill. Um, he does also tell, that actually, it's going to be around the grill. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. Now, as his followers, we're called to go and make disciples. Now, if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you're, you've got tons of questions and you're trying to figure this out, I just want to say thank you for being here today. And, and you're going to get like a, a, a different perspective on like, yeah, but Christians are always talking like, you know, when they talk about faith and they're trying to evangelize, like, what is this? Why do they do this? I'm going to, you're going to learn why we do this. You're going to be invited into a family conversation today. But for those of us who follow Jesus, this is our command from the rabbi, the Lord, the savior that we follow, who says, go and make disciples, teaching them the ways of Jesus. But how, how do we do this? Because I will be honest, I have been evangelized too in some pretty weird ways. Right? I, I, when I get to go to places and people have no idea that I'm a pastor, it's just, it's kind of nice sometimes, right? It's really nice. But maybe it's because I'm usually dressed in all black and this is how I show up to picnics or whatever. Like, I don't know, there's something about me that ooze, that man needs to be saved. Um, and so people just seem to flock to try to save this dark person and save, and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I, you know, I've been in those weird, odd conversations with people and you're making small talk, you're hanging out. And then all of a sudden they kind of pivot the conversation, ask you something like, if you were to die tonight and stand before God, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? It's like, uh, my, my, are you going to kill me? <laughs> you know, like, 
or do you, is there something in my burger or beer that I don't know about right now? Like, oh, I forgot to say, my name is Jimmy. What's your name? Like, what, what do you say to the person who says that to you that you don't know? And you're like, what are you doing? Or maybe you're going to head down to the boardwalk like I am at some point this summer and someone's going to be on a soapbox with a megaphone telling all of the people who walk up and down this you know, boardwalk to repent of their sins because they're the worst and that Jesus is coming and that they need to place their trust in him. Please don't tell me I'm the only one who, it doesn't matter if I don't even know the person next to me, I'm talking to them about anything and everything so I don't make eye contact with the person with the megaphone, right? You're like, I'm not going to even engage in this have you ever felt like this? Sometimes it is weird when followers of Jesus or Christians share their faith with people. And before we can sit and start throwing shade at people like that, it's really important that we stop and ask, when's the last time you shared about your faith in Jesus? Seriously, if you follow Christ, when is the last time that you talked openly, out loud, about your relationship with Jesus with someone who does not know him. Not small group conversations, but over coffee, over beer, over a burger. You know, too often I think we worry about coming across like some of these extremes, and we use that as our excuse not to share at all about the hope that we have. Our fears about how we're going to be perceived, we're going to do it wrong, and therefore it keeps us from sharing at all. But Jesus has clearly commissioned us in Matthew 20 to go and make disciples, to go and share our faith. But don't, don't be weird. You don't have to be weird. Because Jesus, can I tell you, he didn't bait and switch people. He, he didn't ask, you know, to, you know, to scare, he, he didn't step into like conversations to scare the garbage out of people so that they would go to heaven. Right? He didn't scare people in. When he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of heaven, it was normal. It was natural. It was part of everyday life and conversations that he had. I mean, think, how often do we find him at parties with people? He's at parties with people all the time. And if Jesus were walking the earth with us right now physically here in South Jersey and Philadelphia, do you know where I think he'd be this summer? At our barbecues. He'd be at the community pools with us. He'd be at our barbecues. He would be at the shore at the beach hanging out with his friends because that's what he did 2,000 years ago. So the question that I want to kind of explore today together very simply is, so then how did he do it? How did Jesus model sharing his faith? And I mean, it's easy to be like, well, do you want to trust in me? And it's like, no, that's not what we're going to be saying. But how did he handle conversations? How did he approach people? To do this together, I would love to look at a story found in um, the, the biography of Jesus written by uh, John. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to turn to the gospel, the good news of John, and we'll be in chapter 4. John was one of Jesus' best friends, and so he gets this great, great um, intimate picture of a story we don't really read anywhere else. And so when you're in John chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 4 where he's going to be starting, he's leaving Judea and he's heading north to this place called Galilee, okay? It says this starting in verse four. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field of Jacob, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well. 
about noontime. All right, so let's just put some simple context to this. Jesus is traveling. It's the Middle East. It is hot. And now he's walking through this region called Samaria. This was a region that was kind of sandwiched in between the bottom half of Israel and the top half of Israel. And Jesus tends to do things in both of these places. And in this passage, we read that he has to go through this area. But most Jewish people uh, didn't go through this area because they didn't get along with the people in the middle. And we'll talk about why in a second. So Jesus sits down by the well. And his disciples that he's with, he's like, all right, you go into the village, which you know they were ticked about, and go get some food. Let's pick it up. Let's jump to verse 7. It says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now, I, I like the way that the uh, New International Version, the NIV translates, the, the translation there handles the, the grammar in the Greek here. This is what the NIV says. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? Jesus had been walking all morning. He's sitting by a well. His disciples are off, and he is looking for what we all want when we go to a barbecue, right? When you show up at a barbecue, what's one of the first questions that you're asked? Would you like a drink? Would you like? Does anybody want a drink? Want a drink? Uh, uh, Brendan, here. Here, uh, that's a nice little Dr. Pepper. I think there's a, some sort of Jurassic Park velociraptor on there. Anybody want a drink? Uh, uh, Denise, I have a Coke for you because I know that you won't do Pepsi. Here, you come and get this. Um, you get, right, you got to know people. They don't do Pepsi. I don't know the difference, but she swears there is one. Here, you take this one. That's great. Um, anybody like sparkling water, sparkling water, folks? Like, I'm not, I can't throw that back to you, Brett. Uh, here, let me, Brett, I'm going to toss this to you. You can give back to Carol over there. Um, you know, like, I'm a sparkling water kind of guy. And here's the thing. Like, we go to a barbecue, and we're like, hey, would you like a drink? Sure, sure. This is exactly Jesus' beginning approach to evangelism, to sharing faith. This is how he starts, and this is how we should start. Ask good questions. Just ask, ask good questions. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to make this difficult. I'm just trying to look at what Jesus does and say, how do we do these things? And can I tell you, asking questions is something he did all the time. This is something he was great at. When you look through the biographies of Jesus, he was actually asked about 180 questions, over 180 questions. Only three of them he answers directly. Five of them he answers indirectly, and he himself asks over 300 questions, twice the amount that he was asked. He didn't enter into any relationship with an agenda to unload, answers to solve their problems. He knew that good conversation or good questions lead to good conversations. But I don't think we do this well. Especially as we begin to get older we stop asking good questions, right? According to Paul Harris, who's a Harvard-based child psychologist, he says that between the ages of four and six, these kids are capable of asking up to 40,000 questions. And I was like, wow. Actually, there are some studies out there that have been repeated that say four-year-olds alone could ask up to two to 300 questions a day. 
Some of you are nodding. You have those preschoolers in your home, right? You work with those preschoolers. You know this. But, but how many times do they ask curious questions about people, about places when we're out with them and we shush them and tell them that's not what we ask, right? I, I could think of times that we're, I'm with little kids and it's like, wow, how come that lady's hair is so much grayer than your hair? And we're like, shh, you can't say things like that. No, the reality is they're not being malicious, are they? They're not being mean, they're just being curious. It's no wonder as we grow older, we, we begin to learn more but somehow we lose our curiosity. We lose the desire to learn and we stop asking good questions. You have to know that this affects all the relationships that we have with people. If we can't ask good questions, we'll never get to know them. This is how we have to relate to people. And I know it's like, Jimmy, I, I know how to ask good questions. Yeah, do you? I think we're really good at answering people's questions curtly or we ask them simple questions, but we don't ask good questions, right? We, we always, hey, how you doing? Good. How have you been? Good. Good. All we have to do is pay attention. If you're hanging out with someone and they're constantly doing this, wow, wow. hey, are you okay? You seem like you're in a rush. It seems like a lot of texts keep coming in and you're checking your phone. Is there a sports game or are you okay? Is, oh, it's, you know, it's crazy at work. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow, do you always work on Saturdays? You're just paying attention and you follow up with a question. Do you always work? Well, you know, it's just been busy. It's just the season. Wow, there are always seasons like this? How long is this season going on? Instead of, how do we normally answer? Oh, it's just been a busy season. Man, do I know that season. My season, let me tell you about my... This is how we approach people. That's not how Jesus does, right? What we have to understand is that, just like Jesus modeled, good questions. Good questions lead to better relationships. Good questions lead to better relationships. Jesus was not an answer man. He was a teacher. And so what he did was open up good conversation with a good question. Let's pick up the story in verse 9. It says, The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, I wish I had time to unpack just the layers of tension in this one verse right here, but we don't. Uh, Jesus surprises this woman by saying, can I have a drink and asking for a drink? And this woman was very surprised because I like this little ad we have here from John. Jews and Samaritans do not get along, right? We've got some issues. This region that's right in the middle, let's just, uh, I'm sorry if you're online and you're watching your, because you're from central Jersey, but this is central Jersey, Right? It's this place like, okay, we want to get up to New York to go do things. We like doing things in Philadelphia, but let's just skip the I-95 category, right? Or the, the 195 that goes across. It's, you don't really want to go there. What's in that region? What do we do there? And so with Jews and Samaritans, they would avoid this section completely. They did not get along, and most Jewish people saw them as half-breed cousins. They were like, oh, that, that, those guys, you just avoid going through that region and go around. It's better 
you don't have to be around those people. I completely understand why this woman looks at a Jewish rabbi who's sitting at a well and is like, uh, you do realize what's going on here, right? She even points it out to Jesus in case he misses it. And she hears this question, can I have a drink? And she responds with her own question, which is simply, why me? Why, why me? Why would you, a Jewish man, with these followers who I saw leave, ask me, a Samaritan woman that you guys avoid for a drink? You see, when we ask good questions like Jesus does, people begin to feel seen and they feel heard. Pausing for a second, and when we ask that follow-up question, they say, wait, who, me? Me? Who, me? You're asking me that question? You see, this is something I think every one of us long for, is the desire to be seen by someone else, to actually be heard, to know that our presence in this place is important. And I will tell you, as someone who's learning to ask better questions, there is a point in every conversation where you're going to have to make a choice. If you want to share your faith, if you want to get to know people and have good relationships, there is a point where you're going to have to make a decision. Here's the decision. Do I bail or do I lean in? Do I bail or do I lean in? Do we give the obligatory, like, oh, work's been crazy. Oh, that sucks. Uh, but it sure is nice out today, isn't it? I mean, you picked a great day to have a barbecue. I mean, how about them Phillies? They've been great. Did you see that live golf tour or live golf? Whatever. Yeah, it's amazing what they're doing. Do you guys have summer plans? Like, you know, what with all that work stuff, what, what, what camps do you have signed up for? The kids signed up for, oh, this burger, this is great. Is this 90-10 beef, 80-20 beef? I mean, it makes a difference in your burger, right? What are we doing? We're bailing on that conversation. These are bailing questions that keep us from, from entering into a, me? No, I can't do that. We will do anything else. Do we bail on these conversations or do we lean into them? Because when you look at verse 10, look at how Jesus responds to this why me question from this woman. In verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Jesus shows us here that if we're going to learn to share about our faith, not only do we have to ask good questions, but we're going to have to lean in. We're going to have to lean into these conversations. Jesus knows his own story, right? He's got a sense of what this woman needs based on the fact that she's at a well and he leans into the conversation. It's a natural conversation about water and he moves it to a spiritual place. He knows what he brings to the table, but he still keeps his attention on her. If you only knew what God has for you, if, if you only knew how good this could be, when we lean into conversations and we don't just start with good questions, but when we, if we're going to care about the people that we are with at a barbecue, at the beach, at the pool, we're going to have to ask good follow-up questions to lean in. And they can't be yes and no questions. I'm going to give you some cheat questions. Are you ready? If you have your program, you can write these down. Here's some some cheat questions for you. Steer clear of yes and no. Instead, ask questions like, what's, oh wow, what's, what's that like? Uh, how often does this happen to you? 
wow, that tension between you guys that you always have, uh, how does that make you feel? Hey, when, when, when did this start happening? Has it been a long time, a short time? Like, what we're doing here is we're opening up conversation, not to get an agenda to interject and be like, yeah, but Jesus! No, we're saying, but I care about what's really happening in your life. What, what's going on? Because too often we stop at the surface, and I know why, because it's safe. It's safer to stop at the surface. Instead, I believe like Jesus, we need to lean in and ask the next level questions that allow people to know, I genuinely care about you. I will tell you, people are far more open, far more open to talking about what's going on in their life than you realize if you ask the right questions. They just really are. My favorite is, is when I get to, and some of you, you know better, than to give me a fake answer now because it's like, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Oh, that, that's great. What, what's been good? What? No, what's been good? You said you were good. What's, what's been good? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I don't know. Well, why did you say that to me? What? We're so used to people not caring about us. We don't even know what to do when someone does. If this is how we feel, could you imagine how people who don't understand the hope and forgiveness of following Jesus and the hope that this brings, what does it mean for someone to pay attention to us? And when I say, you know, really, tell me how you didn't, like, uh, they have a choice. Do they want to bail on the conversation and be like, I need to check the next person out in line, which just happens because I'm that guy at the checkout, you know? Or do they share and say, actually, you know what's been really good? I've had better time with my kids than I normally do, and I'm excited summer's gonna start because I get to see them more. Wow, what are you guys planning on doing together? You see, it's a different conversation. Instead of bailing, you lean into them. You'll be surprised at how people respond when you lean into your inner four-year-old curiosity. Could you imagine what it would look like if we were curious followers of Jesus with each other to really know what's happening? For Jesus, it went from water he moved it to the natural, from the natural to the spiritual, and, and she's interested, she's engaged, and let's just jump down to verse 15. It says, this is the woman speaking. She says, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here anymore to get water. Right? The reality of this woman's story is that she is in pain. She's hurting, and, and all you have to do is pay attention. All you have to do is pay attention uh, to, to what she doesn't say in this story to tell you, right? It's what time and she's coming for water? It's noon. In the Middle East, at this, in this culture, and, and still to this day, when people do not have access to clean water, they have to go to a well to get water. They go usually twice a day. They go at dawn, they go at dusk. They go when it is at its coolest, not in the middle of the day. They also always go in groups. They never go alone. There are safety in numbers. I think this is part of what's been ingrained and, and built into women uh, by God is their part for community. So when it's like, I gotta go to the bathroom, who else all coming? And this, like everybody goes, it's like, wow, look. Um, it's, it's part of the system, right? We're all doing this together, but it's in this context for this woman, what she doesn't say tells us so much about her. She's coming at noon. When else is she going to go? This is it. 
she's longing for this living water that Jesus says he can offer. Because guess what? If I take this water, you got to give me this because then it at least solves the problem of every day when I walk here at noon, I'm reminded again I'm alone, that I don't have friends who are going to try to keep me safe, that I don't get to be with them. And every time I show up at this well, every single day I'm reminded I'm alone. It's like, well, she doesn't say that. It doesn't say that in here. Listen, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or Bible, Bible scholar to pick up on these things. This is just normal feels that we all have. We want to be in community. She's not in community. And Jesus doesn't even have to lean into what she's saying. He leans into what she's not saying. He's paying attention to her completely. When we see our friends who are more distant than normal and their answers are shorter than they normally are, that doesn't mean they're mad at you. It just means there's something going on, but it's a great time to ask that follow-up question. Boy, Things seem stressful for you. Are you doing okay? When you're hanging out with families, if you know these families, you know when you see parents giving their kids the sour look and it's like, oh, that frustration. That, that, or a spouse, that sour look, and it's like, hey, man, I, I, it seems like you guys are connecting different than normal. Things, things okay? What's been happening? I see this. you're with someone and all of a sudden you see them checking out somebody else and you know they're married or they're in a relationship and their eyes have that longing look it's okay how are things in that relationship are you are you doing okay when someone's checking that phone it's that follow-up question like you seem overwhelmed when's the last time you had a day off that you would turn your phone off we need to learn to watch the people that we love and lean into what's not spoken just as much as what's spoken. And when she says this, the Samaritan woman says this to Jesus, he responds in verse 16. He says, all right, you want this water? Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Uh, I don't know about you, this doesn't feel like an appropriate response to me. Does this seem like an appropriate response to anybody else? Like, can I have living water? Your life is in shambles. Like, all right, she wants this, and it feels like Jesus just blows her up, like completely blows her up. I do not believe that Jesus is demonstrating that if we want to share the hope of, you know, the story of Jesus, that we should bring up everyone's worst sins and, like, shame them by throwing it at them all at one time. <laughs> this is not what he wants us to do. What, what I, I do think is instead, while it doesn't look like it at first here, hear me out for a second. I think that Jesus has just shown one of the real keys to sharing our faith, and it's this, that we need to listen for God. We need to listen for God. At first glance, it does not look like Jesus is listening here. But when you step back from what he said for a second, it, you have to ask the question, how in the world did he get to a place where he could say something like this? Right? You, you can't just say these things. I believe that Jesus was listening for God's voice in this conversation. I believe he was because... How did he know this? Has anybody read this passage before or had it, you know, listened to it preached and go, how does he know this? Anybody else? 
I, this is a question I've always asked. How did he know that? And, and sometimes I will tell you the, the, the answer I get is simply because he's Jesus. He's Jesus, so he knows these things. And I stop, and to be honest, I, I feel like that's a pretty garbage answer. I know that sounds weird, but it's a garbage answer because I believe that Jesus was completely God, but also completely man. And if it's like, I don't understand that, great, great. Well, then we're on the same page to begin with. But he was the full embodiment of, of God, love incarnate in front of us. But he did not come out of Mary's womb and all of a sudden start quoting Isaiah in Hebrew to Mary and Joseph, right? You know, if we go and we look at, at Luke 5 or Luke 2:52, we read that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with both God and with man, right? He grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with all people around him. I, I believe that God does know all things, but Jesus, while he was present on earth, he learned like we learn. He didn't just automatically know things. And this woman's story, because it happens in central Jersey, I don't think people in North Jersey or South Jersey care, right? People in Galilee and Judea, they don't care what happens in Samaria. And if they did hear a story about a woman who was married five times and now, and now they'd be like, yeah, whatever. Like, of course, all the Samaritans do that, right? And no one would care if they were Jewish. But what did Jesus do here? Jesus learned from God and he learned as he grew up Instead, I, in this moment, how did Jesus know this is my question. And that cheap, because he's Jesus and knows people, is not fair. So what other answer could there be? And I think it was that in this moment, I think, I believe we see Jesus getting what we read in the New Testament called a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge. And in, throughout the New Testament letters, we read that when, the Holy, when we believe and trust and follow Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, he gives us supernatural gifts, gifts that are not explainable, that, that not just big talents that are like, oh, he's good at leading, so he must have the gift of leadership. No, 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 Th supernatural gifts. And when we have these gifts, it's always for the building up of the church. And so when you explore Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, along with a bunch of other New Testament letters, you'll see these beautiful gifts that are given. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, you read about the, how Paul says that the Holy Spirit can tell us things that we never knew. And if that sounds odd, I, I, I understand, but that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit is that you know, God knows what we don't know. Isn't that great? God knows what we don't know. That, I hope that brings you comfort, but that also should really bring us some encouragement to know that means there may be things in the people's lives around us that they're keeping because they're scared, they're nervous. If I'm this woman, I do not want people to know my story, let alone a Jewish rabbi. No way. But somehow Jesus knows this because while he's listening to this woman, he's listening to God and he's present both horizontally to people and vertically to God because of his relationship with him. And I believe the Holy Spirit said this is this woman's story. She wants to avoid the well, but Jesus wants to heal her heart. 
He sees what she really needs, and over the next 10 verses, she tries in this amazing way to derail the conversation by getting into like spiritual debate. Let me just tell you, when you talk to people about Jesus, avoid spiritual debates. Avoid religious debates. They just divide. They, they completely derail everything. You don't win in a religious debate, just so you know. You just don't win. It's not even worth it. I'm telling you, don't get into it. It's not worth losing a friendship to stand on a position right now. That's not what this is about. But here, Jesus doesn't take the bait. And the woman tries to end the conversation with this very religious statement in verse 25. Just jump down there with me. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. I feel this sense of defeat in her statement here. This is, this is all so confusing. This is all so difficult for me to get right now. So you know what? Just eventually the Messiah is coming and, and he'll figure it all out. When we deal with pain in our current circumstances, this is what we do, right? Well, Jesus is coming at some point, so fine, whatever. Like, it, it's all in his hands. Like, I just don't want to deal with it. That's what we're basically saying. We just use Jesus language around it. She's just using, you know, Samaritan and Jewish language. The Messiah is coming, whatever. Verse 26 simply says, then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And this is the final step in sharing our faith. You got to speak up. You have to speak up. Jesus does not hide his identity. Instead, he openly, openly announces who he is to this woman. We don't read about him doing it really a lot before this moment. He openly announces that he is the Messiah they've been waiting for to this woman. And this is where I think this is the step that most of us avoid. Well, we could try to ask better questions. We can try to dig a little deeper and care. Like we, these are all good things that we could do. Maybe we'll even step up and we can help when there's a real need. Like, oh, I'm moving. I'll, I'll come to do that. That's what Jesus would do. We show up. But when it comes to opening our mouths to talk about Jesus, we clam up. We proclaim the good news that the gospel of Jesus gives hope, forgiveness, and life. But I'll do it through my actions, not through my words. And what's even worse is we make spiritual excuses for it. We justify it by saying things like, if I, what if I don't have the, the right answers to their questions? What if they ask something that I don't know? What if I point them in the wrong direction? Well, you don't have to worry about that if you just say, I don't know. I don't know is a valid answer to questions. Did you know that? You could say, I don't know, right? It's fine. In reality, I think we're worried about looking dumb. That's why we say that. But what, what, what if I share my faith and they reject Jesus and they don't accept that? When in, really we're worried about them rejecting us even more than we're worried about them rejecting Jesus. You know, if I, if I just keep asking the questions, I'm going to do the right things, eventually they're going to ask why I do that. And that's when I'll share about Jesus. So I'll just wait for the right time. Patience and sensitivity with people is unbelievably important. But why in the world would they ask about something they don't know about? There's never the right time. That's like saying I want to wait to be financially secure and then I'll have kids, you know, when I'm at the right place. You're never the right place to have kids. It's, it's a whirlwind from the start. But sharing your faith can feel like a risk. I understand that. But what a shame for us that we hold this great gift of the salvation, the good news of Jesus, and we keep it to ourselves and we do not share it with those who are hurting around us. Jesus speaks up 
we need to speak up. Jesus never asks for that word of knowledge and shames her with it. Instead, after he shares this deep word of knowledge about this woman's story, do you know what she does? Check it out in verse 28, all the way at the bottom. It says, the woman left her water jar beside the well. She ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Could, could this be the guy? So people came streaming from the village to see him. She was so worried about being found out that when the Messiah said, I see you, why me? Because I care about you. She went back to the very people that she's been lonely and isolated and separated from and said, I met a guy. And I'm sure they're like, yeah, we know. We've heard this story. No, he's different. He told me everything about my life and this wasn't with shame, but it was with such joy, such a transformed life because she met Jesus that all the things that everyone else threw at her to say, this disqualifies you as a person. I met someone who must be the Messiah because for the first time, I don't feel shame. I feel alive. You've got to meet this guy. And because they know her story, what do they do? They come streaming out of the village and all Jesus did was ask good questions, lean in, listen for God's direction and speak up. The entire village asks him to stay for two days, which his disciples are confused, and they're like, we think he's starving. He hasn't eaten. Do you need food? And my favorite response to Jesus in John chapter 4 is when he says, I have food that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of my Father. That's what fuels him, and I believe it's what needs to fuel us. And so I simply want to ask that... This summer, as we get ready for barbecues and beaches and, and, and all of the, the, the times that we are going to be with family and friends who do not know Jesus, would we be the people who start by asking better questions? Can we ask some good questions? What if this was the summer that, that we were the guy or the gal at the grill and we got to share or like the woman at the well? That w things look different for us and every time we gather, there's an opportunity. What if we prayed for just one person this summer that we could share our faith with because it's like well i gotta share it with everybody no, jesus didn't did he he shared it with one person to begin with and that entire village was changed because of her testimony who's the one person that you want to be praying for to say i love them enough to share my faith with them not in a weird way not with a, I might kill you, if, what are you going to do in heaven thing. Not with a bullhorn. But over a burger. Over a beach ball. Who's that one person? And because I love making things uncomfortable, I want you to have that one person in mind. And in this moment, if Jesus demonstrated that God could tell us things about people that we don't know, I'm going to ask for the next two minutes that we sit in silence together. And with that one person that's on your mind that you love deeply and want them to know the hope of Jesus, I'm going to ask, and we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit in this moment to say, hey, can you tell me something about that person? I don't know. Something that I may be able to, to, to love them, not shame them or throw it at them, but love them because I didn't know that, and it will deepen my heart to care for them. What don't I know that might help me love better? like Jesus loved.
you're thinking, uh, what if I do it wrong? Sometimes God speaks to us, sometimes he doesn't. But if we're going to share our faith and look for opportunities, let's take this time together. So let's just take two minutes together. Holy Spirit, we would ask in this moment that for those who are wrestling with one person, I ask the blessing of would you put a, put a face in their mind's eye right now? A name flashing across in bright letters. Something that would say that's the one person that my story needs to be told to. And in this moment of silence, Holy Spirit, would you tell us something about that person? Give us a word of knowledge to encourage them. Jesus, thank you for loving us, loving us enough to want to speak to us. Continue to train our ears to listen for your voice. I confess times I've missed, so many times I miss you talking and how you're choosing to express love for others and I blow right through it. Thank you for asking great questions, for leaning in, for opening your mouth. Lord, would you give us courage this summer to be bold, not aggressive, but bold and confident in how we proclaim the gospel, the good news that Jesus forgives our sins and calls us to love deeply those around us. Thank you for the good news, Jesus. Open our eyes to opportunities. In your name we pray, amen. As we close today, um, just as a reminder, we don't have our barbecue today, which is sad because I was thinking, oh, this would be fun. Um, I want to see how many of you are like, I was praying for someone here. I'm like, whoa. Uh, I would encourage you, please, come on the 29th when we get to barbecue together and have some fun. But as we celebrate communion today, I, I would love for you just to open up that bottom and take the piece of bread out and have the cup ready. And I've been very, very encouraged this week as I look at it and taking communion. And someone said to me, I'm surprised, you know, as a church, we do communion every, every week. And it, 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 I like the routine, and it does become routine. 
And I, I love that. But at the same time, it's easy, just like Pastor Will was saying as we were worshiping, it becomes easy just to say things and do things and like eat, drink, bam, we're done. But there's something beautiful when you look at church history about how the church shared their faith. So much of it was over meals where they had bread, they had wine, they had you know, meals together where their stories were being shared constantly. And when you brought a friend to the table, they would say, listen, if you don't know Jesus and you're not in a relationship with him, do not eat this, do not drink this. This is asking for problems in your life. There's a curse that comes with this. Don't do it. And I would encourage the same welcome to this family at Crossbridge. But if you've not placed your trust in Jesus, do not eat and do not drink. Scripture's clear about that. And there's nothing wrong like, oh, don't, like, just, that's the, I believe what it says. But if you are here and you follow Jesus, we celebrate a story that changed everything every week. And when we take communion, may this be a reminder every single week to us that his body was broken for every one of us and those people at our barbecues. And his blood was spilled for the forgiveness of sins, not just for the people you like, but for all of humanity that would place their trust in him. He loved us enough to give himself up. And when we eat and drink, we remember the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Would you eat and drink with me? God, we praise you that you were the same yesterday as you are today and you will always be. We've sang it, we've shared it, and now we've experienced your forgiveness through our taste buds. Praise you, Jesus. It's you that this is all about. Thank you, God. In your name we pray, amen.